about to uh, start this class, Father, the study of your word, that you have so perfectly written and perfectly put together for us so that we can have the hope of eternal life with you. Father, let us never, never lose sight of the suffering and the sin that Christ carried to the cross, our sins, so that we can have that hope of eternal life. Father, be with Brad as he brings forth the class of us all to be able to take something that you didn't know away tonight and be able to share with others. Father, let the beauty of Christ be seen in us and share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's stand and, and read the first uh, 15, first 17 verses of John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I told you this so that you might, so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. All right, you may be seated. Okay, so um, what what, uh, significant parts of that uh, stood out to you? Yeah, Alan? Disciples and the love they ought to have towards one another and back towards him and all that. 
Good, yes. Lots of uh, emphasis on love, loving one another, how God or how Jesus has loved the Father. Um, these chapters between 13 and 17 really sound a lot like 1 John. Um, and I kind of intended to do more with that because I think there are so many connections there. But, um, you know, time is limited, of course. But um, you think of the chapter 4. It's just, I think it has love like 20-something times in the chapter. Um, but yeah, you, you see that here. What else What else stood out to you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, what what is abiding in Jesus? What what does he how does he mention that? Good, yeah. Right. So so these branches are abiding in the vine and that's how they get their nourishment. That's how they bear fruit. Good. What else? What else stood out to you about this abiding? Bob? Well, it's a Yeah, so there's relationship there. There's sharing a fellowship, maybe. Uh, and it's not just one way. It's not Jesus dwelling in us, but it, it either exists both ways, us in Jesus and Jesus in us, or not at all. And the same thing with the Father. Jesus abides with the Father and the Father with Jesus, or not at all. It, it's a relationship. Good. Yeah, Wilma? Okay. Okay, so yeah, we, we need to ask the Father, right? Good, good. Yep, Mike? seems to me, too, that the idea of abiding is conditional, right? Okay, yeah. Abide in me, I will abide in you. And so, you know, I know it doesn't use the connected and, but still, I, I get the idea of this, this condition where if we abide in Christ... Good. Yeah, there is, uh, um, there is, there's something to that. How, how do you abide? Live. Okay. You live, you obey, right? Where do you see that boy? Was there, was there a verse? I, I was thinking that. Yep. Um, good. Yep. Okay. What else, Bob? Mm-hmm. If 
So there's his word on us, abiding in us, and you know, there's just a lot of things. Good, good. Yep. Yeah, Micah. Thank you. When it, when it talks about the commandment, it said, this is my commandment. And it doesn't say the commandment is worship on Sunday, don't uh, have uh, instrumental music of, of sorts. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And so to the point of obedience, the command is to love. Right. The central command from Jesus is to love one another, right? And we've seen that several different ways. People will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. No greater love has man than this. We'll get to, right? Yeah, Alan. Oh, Carrie, and then Alan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're not, we are not in relationship with Jesus, then whatever fruit we think we're bearing, it is nothing to him. Right. Yeah, Lydia. Very good. Yeah. So you actually have to be plugged in to Jesus in order to uh, bear bear fruit. Yeah, Alan. Verse fourteen says, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." That takes it to an interesting place. I haven't thought of much before. I am a friend of His when I do what He commanded. What a terrible thought that I am not His friend when I am not doing what He's commanded. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So back to that relationship idea. This friendship um, is that you you do what what your friend uh, would like for you to do. Right. Yeah. And you prove that you're not you're not in relationship. You you don't love someone if you don't uh, if you don't care for them. Right. Yeah, good, good. So um, we've kind of hit a lot of this, but let me just kind of focus this for a second. Um, so the uh, we've looked at uh, several I am statements uh, so far, bread of life. Jesus says he's the light of the world, the door to the sheep and the good shepherd in chapter 10. In chapter 11, he was the resurrection and life. Uh, chapter 14, the way, truth, and life. And now he's the true vine. And God is the vine dresser or gardener. So what applications does Jesus make here in the text of this analogy between he's the vine, there's a vine dresser, and then there are all these branches? 
What are some of the connections that Jesus makes explicitly? Yeah. Yes, and he's going. Right, and so he's going to let that vineyard just go grow wild because it it produced not just not just that it didn't produce, but it that it produced sour, rotten fruit for God. Yeah, good good connection there, Lloyd. What what else do you have? I know, I hate that Ryan's not here on our vine dresser. Good, yeah. So the idea of pruning, and so it says, I don't, um, I don't know if maybe everybody else, um, caught this, but, um, uh, it says that if you don't bear fruit, you're cut off. And you wither and die and are thrown in the fire and burn. If you do bear fruit, then you're, you're, you're pruned. And that word pruned, the root of it is used again in verse three. You are already pruned is what it should say. Um, you are already clean. It's that word is translated clean a lot of times, but he just said, use that root word to say every tree that bears fruit, I'm going to prune it so that it will bear more fruit. Now, and then it says, you are already clean. Why? How are they already pruned? Did you notice that? Right. So maybe this is obvious and explicit, but make the connection, Mike. How do you, how are you, how does God prune? Through his word, right? Jesus pruned them already by the word that he gave them. And, and that's how you want, how do, how do I bear more fruit? How do I make sure that I'm fruitful in God's kingdom? Well, you got to be pruned. And that means you have to be in the word and you have to be plugged in and abide. Jesse? Yeah, the B attitudes, right? Um, and, and you're right. We do tend to think of fruit as outward. 
Um, and so we have to kind of get past that. Uh, we like to say, hey, look at my attendance, perfect attendance. I was bearing fruit. And that's uh, obviously that's important. But that's that's more the nourishment that you're getting in order to go bear fruit. Right. You can't you can't expect the nourishment to be the fruit in and of itself. And as you pointed out, that's, that's a great point. The fruit is the heart attitudes. And that's what the that's what the Pharisees were missing all along. They thought it was the outward stuff. Tithing and standing on the corner and praying so loud everyone can hear what I'm praying and being so proud of myself for all of the outward things that I was doing when all the while the, the heart attitudes were not right. They were a brood of vipers. Good point. Other thoughts on this analogy? How else does, what, what other connections does Jesus make about this vine and vine dresser? Yeah. To Jesse's point, um, whenever I look at this concept of bearing fruit, or else we're going to be uh, we're going to be taken away, um, I've been tempted in the past, or I've had the mindset that my salvation is based on me bearing this fruit, and if I don't bear fruit, then then I'm not going to remain in the vine. The fruit is this byproduct of abiding. And if I focus on abiding and focus on the love and let that transformation in my heart, then, then that's going to come later. Yeah, so good, yeah. The the byproduct is the fruit, right? God does the pruning through his word and then the fruit happens because we've been pruned and God has created us uh, to do good works, right? Lloyd and then Jill. Right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? Those are all the fruits that we should be looking for. Very good. Jill. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's not a coincidence that Jesus used the same terminology of Jesse and the fruit that is going to be born. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie. In verse eight, it says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so fruit to be my disciples. The fruit that you Right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, um, uh, Carrie said, the fruit that we bear shows what kind of plant we are, right? It shows that we're connected to uh, the vine. And and there's this, you know, age-old um, 
kind of enigma of the works. How much? How what? What work? What part do works play in my faith? Or what part does belief and you know by faith alone? And you see these two worlds collide here, and it just like you can't have one without the other. You you can't be a branch and not bear fruit. Um, and you can say, well, I've been I've been bearing fruit. I've been making sure that I'm part of the the vine. Um, I just interesting that that age old debate about faith versus obedience and and works. People. Try and say other thoughts, Bob. You know what's interesting is the first uh, you talk about you're already clean. Yes. And uh, this, a lot of times when we think of bear fruit, we think, okay, this is something I have to accomplish. I have to have results, etc., etc. But in Matthew three in verse eight and Luke three in verse eight. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why were they clean? What was the message from the beginning of his ministry? Repent. Repent. Yeah, good. And and so that is a big work. Uh, You know, bearing fruit. That, you know, a lot of the stuff that he said against the scribes and the Pharisees is they didn't have a heart, they didn't repent. But if we repent like his disciples did, and like he calls upon us to do, that is very Good, good. Yeah, so part of the fruit bearing is repentance, turning from all of the heart attitudes that uh, we should um, reject and abhor, and turning to the heart attitudes that Jesus has left for us. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on that? So, um, <clears throat> what about the, um, anything else about the commandment? Um, anything else stand out to you about this commandment in verse 12 and following? Yeah, Alan? Right, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, abiding in Jesus is abiding in his command to love. Yeah, I I see what you're saying there. Yeah, interesting thought. 
Yeah, Caitlin. Good, yeah, yeah. Jesus showed his love for us. He made us his friends by sharing everything that the Lord had revealed to him and gives gives them and us the same commission to share and that that bears fruit, the fruit of of love for one another. So um how does the apostles' fruit abide then? Because it says um didn't write the verse down. Verse 16. Okay, yeah, verse 16. Very true, I think. No servant is greater than his master, uh, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me, sent him. No, that's not it. Okay. Oh, I'm, you know what's funny? I was reading verse 16 of chapter 13, and it says exactly that thing. Um, sorry. Okay. Uh, verse 16. Yeah. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what, what kind of fruit lasts and what, what is Jesus telling them here? Yeah, Leah. Is he just saying that what they're doing is going to go on for eternity? Right, yeah. We've we've got it right here, we're reading it, right? Um Yeah. It also reminds me of when Paul said that some things are gonna be burned up uh, in the judgment and those works, that fruit, um, is gonna show itself not to be the kind that lasts. Um, but there's going to be souls that are added, that are truly added to the Lord. And those will be of gold and silver and will be, um, and will endure. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Alan. Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. Um, before I share my thoughts, what, what do you guys think about this, uh, instruction? He, he said this in the last chapter. He says it twice here. Whatever you ask, God will, will give you. Is that what Jesus is saying? Who, what does that mean? Yeah, Caitlin. Okay, so the context is bearing fruit, right? Yeah. So um, when they, when that is their goal, then when they ask, it will be given. Okay. Yeah, Jesse. Just 
Yeah, I think that's an interesting parallel, or at least idea-wise. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, the scripture um, where Jesus, where Jesus says, "Whatever you bind on earth will ha- will be bound in heaven," uh, right? And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, kind of, sounds like a similar idea. Good, yeah. Right, yeah. And and before uh, there 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 are qualifiers to this. Um, you know, in my name, whatever you ask in my name, right? That doesn't just mean at the end you go in Jesus' name, but rather by by His authority. When He's the one whose authority that you're appealing to, then you're going to ask something that you think He will grant. Right? You, that's, that's what's on your, on your heart. And here, if you're abiding in his teachings, if you're abiding in him, then the things you're going to ask for are things that God will, uh, will want to, to grant. Jesse? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anytime those of, those of you, well, I mean, anytime the person that is, that whose mercy you are at, um, when they say, Hey, if you need anything, just let me know. Okay. Uh, Whatever you need, I'll get for you. Right. When my, when my boss says that to me, whatever you need, I'll, I'll take care of it or whatever, whoever it is, that's, that's comforting. Right. Micah and Luke. Right. And if, if you said, Hey, if you're abiding in me and me and you, then there's nothing you're going to ask for that I won't grant. Right. And that's true for my children. Right. If, if I know that they have my intentions at heart, um, good intentions, then there's almost nothing that I would say that I wouldn't do, or there might be some things I couldn't do, but then God's all powerful. Luke. Right. Yeah. He doesn't want them to, to not have courage, right? Because, um, he, he is giving them everything that they need and anything they ask for, 
Yes, don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Be full of courage because I'm here sending the helper. Um, yeah, all of these things that are comforting. Yeah, Steph. Yeah. And so it reminds me of Eden. It reminds me of the promised land. And now we have the kingdom. And it's like the system's in place. Don't complicate it. Right. Yeah. Very good. Those are all really good connections. All fruitful connections, right? Eden, um, the promised land where they literally couldn't carry the, 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 you know, amazing abundance that was there. And, who, who gave that abundance? In so many ways, God gave that abundance. He created it. He gave it to them. He enabled them to to obtain that, right? Yeah, Bob. Not to forget the context in which all of this is given. Uh, even though he's told them before, they're going to experience something that they are going to be confused, downhearted, and not really know what to do with it. Right. And so this is a great big pep speech. Yep. Exactly. I'm not leaving you. I'll be there. You need my help to get through this coming days. I'm there. Exactly. This is a huge pep talk. And we're about to see even more why they need a pep talk. Let's stand and read the rest of the chapter here. And we'll see another reason why... They need comfort and courage. Verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And let's end there. We'll pick up there. Uh, you can be seated. Okay, so how does this further the discussion of the Passover and what's about to happen? Maybe that was a bad question. Alan? I guess the thing I'm thinking is I would not be surprised if I am hated for where I stand because they hated Jesus. And maybe that's what it's trying to comfort them with. They hated the Father, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And uh, 
that's just to be expected. Good. Yeah. Exactly. No servant is, is greater than his master, right? So they're going to come after you too. Bob? Yeah, not only are they going to be uh, sad because of what's happening, he, he's going to be crucified. But not just him. They're going to be persecuted. Right, yeah. So many of them are going to suffer a similar fate uh, on this life, as, in this life as Jesus did. Yeah, Carrie. Sometimes it helps to know why. And if you know the reason why, you can put up with some stuff. And so he's explaining to them why. Because you're not of the world. You're not like them. And so because you're like me, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. Mm-hmm. And so that would give them strength. Very good, yeah. And you remember when it did give them strength? Right? When they were flogged and they got out and what was their reaction? They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Apparently this did work because they were happy. They recognized we're, we're abiding. Jesus said this would happen. I know we are doing the right things. What else? So I think uh, uh, quite a bit of this is pretty straightforward, but verse 22 and 24, what does that mean that if Jesus had not spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin? Micah? Okay, so that's a Romans thing with it, where, where there is no law, there's no sin. What what does that mean and how does it apply here? Bob? Well, they rejected him even after they heard him. If they had not heard his teaching or any of that, then that couldn't be held against them. Because there was would have been no one to reject. Right, good. Yeah, so Jesus... If Jesus had not come, they couldn't have rejected him, right? So, so I think that's that's the crux. Is there? How else might you say that? Or is there any other facets to that? Yeah, Jesse. Right. Yeah. After they saw this, after they heard my teachings, they have no excuse. They're, they're, a decision is put before them. There's a fork in the road and they have to choose one path. Yeah, Mike? It's interesting because... You had already alluded to First John, but in First John chapter four, we see this exact this same discussion taking place. And so, what Jesus spoke to his disciples, John realized that he needed to address this to Christians everywhere that might read these epistles of his to understand that this is going to happen to not just his apostles, but also to Christians anywhere and everywhere that persecution is going to be out there in the world 
the world's going to hate him, but you know what? That's okay. As long as we're in Christ, we've got the love of God, and we should be shown that as well. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, this was, this was going to come, and only the love of God can cover it. Yeah, Amory? Right, yeah, 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 and we'll look more, uh, about that, um, on Wednesday. Or Sunday. Today's Wednesday. It reminded me of John chapter 9, verse 39. After the man who was born blind, um, they reject him and they kick him out. Jesus goes and finds him and he says, Now you can see. In fact, uh, you know, I'm speaking to him. And then he says, For judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So Jesus came and the only way you could reject him is to put blinders on and stop looking. Right? That is the only way you cannot see that Jesus is, is God in the flesh. Right? Other thoughts on that? Yeah. To hate him with no cause. And that's what I see so much. I don't understand why people hate him. They they quote something, they curse him or whatever. You know, I tutored foster care children, and several of them don't go to church or anything, and they're supposed to be in a better home, and they're not learning God. I see a generation growing up that's hating God because everybody hates God or they don't care, and the people who are training them don't care. And it's just so sad to me to think so many hate them that don't even know them at all or try. Yeah. It's a cool thing to do these days, Alan. Just to pretend like God doesn't exist and you can do whatever you want to. Nobody cares. Yeah, Luke? Yep, yep. I mean, it's it's the same downfall as every aspect of life. People are just doing what they're just following the mob. If they the mob walks off the cliff, we'll all walk off the cliff because apparently that's what everybody's doing, right? So um, he quotes uh, Psalm thirty-five. Um, it's uh, th- this is to fulfill what's written in their law. They hated me without reason. Um, Psalm thirty-five. Let's see. 
One of my problems was I studied, I left this Bible here on Sunday night and then had to study out of my other one and everything's in a different place on the page. Um, you guys know that, right? Uh, so Psalm 35, it's um, Psalm of David. David's being chased around. They're trying to kill him, right? Saul is trying to kill David. Um, and so there's this this psalm that is imprecatory he's begging for those who are seeking his life to to um you know be judged to be condemned how how long is this going to go on let uh, verse 19 is the quote it says let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause the interesting thing is Um, earlier in the psalm it says let destruction come upon him when he does not know it and let the net that he hid ensnare him let him fall into it to his destruction and that probably sounds familiar you know uh, proverbs says the man who digs a pit will end up be the one to end up falling into it right but it just struck me how true this is with jesus the very people who are trying to ensnare Jesus, the act of ensnaring him and crucifying him is condemning them. They, they're turning and Jesus revealed himself to them. And I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I tried to word it to where it actually made sense. But the very act of rejecting and crucifying Jesus is the snare that's going to bring destruction on those that set the snare. So the whole psalm is being fulfilled here in Jesus, even though it only quotes uh, like a fourth of one verse. But um, just an interesting psalm to read in light of everything that's happening here. Mike. It's also quoted in Psalm 69. Psalm 69 verse 4, and that's another psalm that is basically the same thing. Right. Yeah, he's praying for salvation and then praying for you know, his enemies to be defeated as well. So you've got a couple of songs. Right. Yeah, good. Bob? One thing behind their hatred is their fear of losing the people. Now, especially in a few years, they're going to lose a lot more That's right. That's right. Good discussion. We'll look at chapter 16 on Sunday. And is that still me, or is that you? It's me, okay.